Genesis 47. Do I need to remind anybody about what this coming Tuesday is? It's election day, for those of you who don't know. It's election day. And if you have the privilege of voting, if you are a registered voter, may I encourage you strongly today, tomorrow, to do your research about every candidate, including school board candidates. Um, part of what we're dealing with in Johnstown is because of school board, and I'll just leave it at that, with LifeWise and everything. So how you vote is really important. And as long as we have the privilege, church, should we vote in accordance with how God would want us to vote, church? Yes. We should. Um, do your research on the two issues that are statewide issues. Um, I, I would not tell you how to vote, but I would tell you there is a clear-cut way to vote. I'll just leave it at that. Okay? Um, so do your research on that. Do your research on that. So we return to Genesis this morning, and this is the beginning of the end. It's the first of the last six messages that we are going to preach out of this book, the book of beginnings. And for the time that we have been in this book, from chapter 12 on, when we began with Abraham... We have covered about 230 years, roughly, of history, about 230 years of history, and three men have been at the center stage of this, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And, and now, the last three chapters that we're going to cover, cover the end of Jacob's life. And let's be honest, for all that Jacob has been, he's been a usurper, He's been a guy who stole his brother's birthright. He literally swindled, got swindled by his father-in-law. He, he has not been the model dad by any stretch of the imagination for everything that Jacob has been. And the Bible has, has kind of exposed him warts and all for us. What we're going to find out is this dude finishes well. He absolutely finishes well because he finishes by faith. And, 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 and I think there's something in this that, that I want to emphasize over the next few weeks. And I know Pastor Andy is going to be preaching next week in Genesis chapter 48. And what we are going to see these last few chapters of Genesis and we see in Jacob's life is, is that this guy, for all he was, is going to finish by faith. And really when you think about it, isn't that all we can ask for all of our lives? Is that, God, I, I can't change a thing that I've done in my past. How many of you have things you regret about your past? Yeah. We can't change one bit of it, which is why it's so important that we remember the Lord's table, because we don't have to change what's in our past. If we put our faith and trust in Christ, He changes our past for us, doesn't He? And we can all finish by faith. And so in the last 17 years of Jacob's life that are all spent in Egypt, he has the joy of being reunited with Joseph. And quite honestly, Joseph should stand out to us as someone very unusual, someone quite honestly that we cannot relate to in the day and age that we live in. You say, what do you mean by that, PD? Well, here's a guy who had power he had almost ultimate power, and he used his power and his authority for good. Wouldn't that be a refreshing thing? If I could put a title on Genesis chapter 47, 
I would put this title on it. It's God's grace through his servant, Jacob. It's God's grace through his servant, Jacob. And, and, and I want to stop and I want, I want to kind of just give us a, a wake-up kind of reality check this morning. Because I don't know why, but God has just really worked in my heart this week on this. Do you know that every single day you and I experience God's grace in very profound ways? Do you realize that, church? Do you realize that, that every day that you draw breath, that you are experiencing God's grace in a remarkable way? But if you're like me, we don't recognize it, and if we don't recognize it, we don't acknowledge it. Anybody else in that same camp with me? I, I find myself getting to the end of the day, and, and by the end of a day, I can find plenty of things to complain about. Anybody with me on that? And when I get to the end of the day, I don't remind myself, yeah, that while there's plenty of things to complain about, there's been even more of God's grace for me to just forget about all my complaints. You see, there's plenty of grace to be observed in every day. And I would submit to you that for the child of God, and I'm going to assume I'm talking to mostly children of God this morning, that grace ought to be one of the most well-worn words in our vocabulary, but it's really one of the ones we don't use nearly enough. What we see here at the end of the Genesis is there's God's grace in a famine, there's God's grace in a foreign land. There's, there's God's grace from the most powerful man in the world that, that, that God has raised up. And what we're going to see in Jacob's life is, is that there's grace to the very end. Grace by its very nature is hard for us to understand, though. It really is hard for us to understand. We, we understand getting what we deserve, don't we? We, we understand that really well. And in fact, if you don't think you understand it really well, when you look at others around you, you understand that they ought to get what they deserve, right? We're really good at spotting it. But often, we don't spot God's grace, that undeserved favor and kindness and love that He shows to us. I think Dave did an excellent job of reminding us this morning the reason that we have the Lord's Supper is, is because we are really good at ignoring God's grace. We're really good at it because we all tend to adopt this mindset. Now, we would never pray this to God. We would never utter these words to God because we are far too holy for that, right? We're far too holy of a group to say this to God. I deserve your kindness. But often we live like we deserve his kindness. We live like self-entitled trust fund kids in God's economy. And there is nothing more annoying than a self-entitled trust fund kid. Are you with me on that? And often that's the way we are with God's grace. Because here's what I know about my own heart. If I were tapped more into God's grace, if I were more aware of God's grace in my life, I would not nearly be as prideful as I am. 
If I were more tapped into God's grace, I would be much more gracious to others rather than, than expecting them to be gracious to me. It's the funny thing about grace. We expect it, but we don't want to give it, right? We expect it, but we don't want to give it. That is the quintessential definition of self-entitled. And so this morning, as we go through this chapter, I want us to see God's grace in really unusual places. So it's 31 verses. Follow along with me. We're going to read all 31 this morning. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, and actually we need to get into this because we're kind of picking it up in the middle of the story. So, so in your account, and I know it's not on the screen, but go back up to verse 31 of chapter 46. So Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, my brothers and my father's household who were in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, what is your occupation, you shall say, your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth, even until now, both we and our fathers, in order that you may dwell in the land of Goshen, for every shepherd is an abomination to the Egyptians. So Joseph went in and told Pharaoh, my father and my brothers with their flocks and herds and all that they possess have come from the land of Canaan. They are now in the land of Goshen. And from among his brothers, he took five men and presented them to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to his brothers, what is your occupation? And they said to Pharaoh, your servants are shepherds as our fathers were. They said to Pharaoh, we have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. And now, please let your servants dwell in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them settle in the land of Goshen. And if you know any able men among them, put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought in Jacob, his father, and stood him before Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Jacob, how many are the days of the years of your life? Fancy way of saying is, how old, how old are you, old man? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the days of the years of my sojourning are 130 years. Few and evil have been the days of my years of my life, and they have not attained to the days of the years of the life of my fathers and the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from the presence of Pharaoh. Then Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them a possession in the land of Egypt and the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had commanded. And Joseph provided his father, his brothers, and all his father's household with food in the middle of a famine, by the way, according to the number of their dependents. Now there was no food in all the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by reason of the famine. And Joseph gathered up all the money that was to be found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and in the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, we will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord's, 
my Lord, but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and we with our land will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph brought, bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh. This sounds like good socialism, doesn't it? For all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. As for the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest he did not buy. For the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you and you shall sow the land And at the harvest, you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four-fifths shall be your own as seed for the field, as food for yourselves and for your households, and as food for your little ones. And they said, you have saved our lives. May it please my Lord, we will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have the fifth. The land of the priests alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years. So the days of Jacob and the years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, if I have now found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt. But let me lie with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt, and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to him. Then Israel bowed himself upon the head of his bed. And so, Father, in these moments that we have, may we be newly and freshly amazed by your grace as we see it in this text of Scripture this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I first of all want you to see that Jacob and his family experienced the grace of God through the hand of the most powerful man on the earth. They, they experienced the grace of God through the hand of Pharaoh. We, we began reading in chapter 46 of Joseph's plan. And, and I want to be quick to point out, there, there's no deception in Joseph's plan, but Joseph is a shrewd man. You don't have to be crooked to be shrewd. You just have to be wise, right? And, and, and there, there is some shrewdness here in Joseph's plan. And Joseph's plan is this. He knows that the Egyptians have a great disdain for those who raise livestock. It's below them, right? It's something that they would require their servants and their slaves to take care of for them. And so what he does is he places his family already in the land of Goshen, which he knows is the perfect spot to raise livestock, it's in, the, it's in the, 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 the area of Egypt that's well watered by the Nile. And it's in the area that, that produces grass that, that all livestock need to survive on. And he settles his family there, and he basically says to them, this is where you're going to temporarily be, but if everything goes as according to plan, this is where you're going to be while you're here in Egypt. And so he makes a plan. And then he mentions it casually to Pharaoh there in chapter 47 in verse 1. After he gets them settled there, he goes in and he talks to Pharaoh. And he says, hey, my family has come, like you said. Remember, you gave us all the wagons and everything to go get them. They've arrived, and and I have kind of just put them up over in Goshen right now, if that's okay with you, Pharaoh. And then Joseph brings five of his brothers 
We don't know which five. We don't know which five he brings, but he brings five. And the five that he brings probably are the best spoken ones, right? The ones who will best represent that family. And he brings them in, and they come in and they speak. And what's interesting to me in all of this, and it speaks to the character of Joseph, is this. Joseph is just as comfortable in front of his family, who he's been estranged from, as he is in front of Pharaoh. And I have to ask myself, how can this be that Joseph can act with such confidence, this kind of confidence that, that, that you have in these delicate, sticky situations? This could get really kind of dicey, couldn't it? And the only thing I can come back to is this. Joseph's confidence isn't in his ability to be able to handle this. His confidence is in the God who has placed him in this unique situation. And not only does Jacob and his family experience grace from the hand of Pharaoh, they are further receiving grace from the hand of Joseph. And when you think about it, do the brothers deserve any grace from Joseph at all? They haven't done anything to earn it, have they? And yet Joseph continues to act because this is what God has prepared him for, and he seizes that moment, and he does exactly God's bidding in that moment. And what's interesting is, is that God, through Joseph, places Joseph's family in the perfect place for a, for a shepherd for a farmer to survive a famine. Now you tell me, is that a coincidence or is that God's grace? It's God's grace. And what I want you to see is how old man Jacob responds to this. Jacob, any time that he was presented with a business dealing as a young man, how did he typically conduct himself in those situations? Well, he typically took those business opportunities and tried to figure out a way to make more for himself, right? He, that's the way Jacob was. He was always working a deal, working an angle. Know anybody like that? Always working a deal, always working an angle, always got something, you know, you talk to a family member, hey, I got these, these things in the fire, and you're like, oh my goodness, don't hit me up with another one of your schemes, right? That's the kind of guy Jacob was. Jacob is a changed man when he gets to Egypt. Something about losing a son for 17 years, losing your spouse. There's something about the hard knocks of life that, that, that kind of soften the rough edges, isn't there? It's something about the way that God works in our lives and, and humbles us to the point where, where Jacob, who was this really powerful Bedouin up in the land of Canaan, now is reduced to basically trusting his whole existence to the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And when he receives this kindness from Pharaoh, Joseph finally brings him in. And in verse 7, we have the account of it. And, and, and the first thing that Jacob does isn't like, Pharaoh, nice to meet you. Have I got a deal for you? No, we don't know what he says, but we, the scripture is very clear in verse 7. Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Now, we don't know what he said, but we have a historical record of how Abraham and how Isaac and even Jacob himself made blessings to other people. 
And when they made blessings to other people, whose name did they make it in, do you suppose? In the name of the one true God. And so I don't think it's an extreme extrapolation at this point to say that when, when he stands before the most powerful man on the face of the earth, he comes in and he says, blessed be Yahweh who has blessed my family through you, Pharaoh. Well, I don't know that he said it, but I, I'm guessing he said something very similar to that. And there's an important point here that I don't want you to miss, that I don't want any of us to miss here this morning. Let me quiz you first. How many of you recognize this morning that you're sitting here solely, solely by God's grace? How many of you recognize that? If you don't, I pray that your eyes will be open to that. Those of us who have received the grace of God, one of the ways to know whether or not we truly recognize it is in the way that we handle that grace. We don't hoard it to ourselves, but we share it with others. That's what grace is designed to do. I don't know if you realize this or not. God gives you a grace in an abundant measure, more than you will ever need, so that you can share it with others so that you can be gracious to others. And here we have Jacob doing this. This is not the same Jacob, which is why I can confidently say to you that Jacob is a changed man and he is going to finish this well. He's going to finish his life well. But we also see that Jacob is an honest man. Pharaoh asked him, how old are you? And Jacob could probably tell some real tales at this point, couldn't he? Let me tell you about my life. Let me tell you about my life. But there's a deep humility in this. The days, verse 9, and the years of my sojourning, my sojourning, that's a word that would have rubbed Pharaoh kind of in the wrong way. Pharaoh didn't understand sojourning. Pharaoh is a man who was all about the cities that, that he and his ancestors had built. He was all about the great edifices that they had made to, to, to famous pharaohs. He was all about being very planted in a very solid place. And he did not even understand one minute what it was like to be a tent dweller. Much less a tent dweller that dealt with animals all day. I don't know how many of you have spent time on the farm, but when you deal with animals all day, you come out smelling like the what? The animals. When you live in close quarters with the animals, you start to smell like the animals. You deal with... I love the simplicity of farmers. The farmer will tell you exactly like it is, right? Now, some farmers... We'll tell it to you in longer stories than others. I'm thinking of my dear brother, Milo Foster, who has departed. He could tell a long story, couldn't he, Judy? But he told you like it was. Jacob was a farmer. That's what he did. And he gives an honest response. And he says this, I'm just a sojourner. I, I have been here. And, and notice what he says, few and evil have been the days of the years of my life. You know, 130 years seems like a lot of years, but when he compared them to how long his ancestors, his father and his grandfather had lived, he's like, my life is pretty short compared to these guys, and there's probably a reason for it, because I've lived hard. I have not lived a perfect life. I've been tested really hard. I've had some hard life experiences here. 
And he says this, you know, I haven't sojourned nearly as long as they've sojourned. Not only am I a sojourner, but I come from a family of sojourners. In other words, we, we come from pretty humble stock here compared to you, Pharaoh. And then what does he do? He blesses Pharaoh again. He blesses Pharaoh again. He, he gives him a double blessing, okay? That's, that's amazing to me. And that blessing was a witness to God's blessing. In fact, I want you to keep your finger here, and I want you to go back to Genesis chapter 12, because God had kind of predicted this was going to happen to Abraham. Genesis chapter 12, I want you to see it. Genesis 12, verse 1. This is when God calls Abram. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. Boy, do we need to be reading that Bible all over our news outlets today, don't we? What is going on in the world today is coming right out of Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3. And what Jacob is doing by pronouncing a blessing on Pharaoh is, is he's saying, my father God, Yahweh, is using me to bless you because you have been a blessing to his people. Now, there's more grace to be found here. God is very gracious to Pharaoh. Be honest with me, how many of you ever get perplexed because people who are ungodly men or women who are powerful, how many of you get perplexed and get, you get troubled whenever they experience blessing? I do. There's an interesting twist in this tale, isn't there? I even made a comment about it as I was reading it. When you read this, it sounds like Joseph is the very first socialist who ever graced the earth, doesn't it? I mean, this guy, he gets Pharaoh all their money, he gets them all their livestock, he gets all their land, and then he makes a sweetheart deal where he gives them seed back on the land that they do not owe, and he says, oh, by the way, from now on, you're going to give 20% of whatever you can produce back to Pharaoh. Sign me up for that. Anybody else with me on that? But I just want to submit to you that Joseph's just doing the job that he was called to do, right? He's just doing the job that God had called him to do, that Pharaoh had set him up to do. And, and, and actually, in the people's eyes, in verse 25, Joseph is a hero. And when you are fighting for your life, when somebody gives you the means whereby to live, they become a hero, right? And I want to remind us this morning we're surrounded by corruption at every corner. We're surrounded by abuses of power. I could, I could go till probably next week at this time, nonstop, just reciting accounts of it to us, right? I don't need to remind us of that. But, but I need to remind us of this. Where does all this wealth come from that Pharaoh receives? Ultimately, where does it come from? It comes from the hand of God, does it not? God chooses to, to make Pharaoh very wealthy through this. 
And we think to ourselves, why would he do that? Well, because 400 years from now, his people are going to leave this land, and guess whose wealth that they take with them? Guess whose wealth they take? They take Pharaoh's wealth. They take the people of Egypt's wealth with them on the way out. When you get to the Exodus account, what you find is they are literally Egyptians running to Jews, leaving their country and handing them like, get out and take it with you. Only our God does things that way. And so now 400 years prior to this happening, God is preparing his people even when his people don't even recognize it. Isn't that grace? Things may seem kind of grim right now, friend, but, but God is on his throne, and he is, in, through his grace, preparing something for us. Whether or not it happens in this life, we know that if we're in Christ, what he's preparing for us is something far greater than we can experience ever here, right? And what strikes me as so interesting here is God's grace to his own here. Look at verse 11. They got, they got the best of the land. They got the best of the land. And were you paying attention when I read this? What's happening to the wealth of the Egyptians during this whole time? Is it trending up or down, church? Hello? Which way is it trending? Which way is the wealth of God's people trending? Yeah. Even to this point. Did you catch this detail? The second thing that Joseph took from all the people was their what? their livestock. What is the one thing that Egyptians hate to do? Take care of livestock. And so Pharaoh had made this arrangement with Jacob and his boys that you're going to take care of my livestock. Guess what? They now had instant job security. They had all the animals of Egypt out to Goshen where, where, where Joseph's family, where Jacob and his boys were taking care of them. Tell me that God isn't a God of the details. Tell me that he's not a God of the details. They gained possessions. Do you see it here? They're gaining possessions. Look at verse 27. Israel settles in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, which is the best land. And on top of that, not only do they get the best land, they're gaining possessions in it while the rest of Egypt is handing their possessions over to Pharaoh. Now, do you suppose that Joseph being Pharaoh's number two had any, reason, any bearing on the fact that they didn't have to share their possessions with Pharaoh? God's grace. God's grace. And on top of that, they were fruitful and they multiplied greatly. God's grace. What's interesting to me is Moses notes in verse 28, that Jacob lives in the land of Egypt for 17 years. There's, there's 17 is an interesting number here, and I'm not playing games with numbers here, but it's really interesting to me. How long did Jacob have Joseph at the beginning of Joseph's life? 17 years. And how many years did he get at the end of his life with Joseph? 17 years. <laughs> Even those two 17-year periods were God's grace, were they not? They were God's grace. Finally, what, you want, what I want you to see this morning is God's grace right up into the end of jo Jacob's life. 
Jacob knows in verse 29 it's time for him to die. He, ju- he just knows it. And so he brings Joseph to him. Now think about it. it you have all these sons, right? And, and Judah has now demonstrated himself to be faithful. He's represented Jacob well. But if, but if Joseph, or if Jacob really wants to get one thing done, who's the one son he trusts to get something done? It's going to be Joseph, right? He brings Joseph in, and he makes him go through this, this, this weird thing for the oath that, that Abram made Eleazar go through whenever he was looking for a, for a wife for Isaac. He says, put your hand under my thigh and promise. Basically, this is like the most solemn promise that you can make. And what's the one thing that he asked him to do? Make sure that you don't leave me buried here in Egypt. Now think about this. What do Egyptians do with their very honorable dead people? You ever heard of Tut and Tut's tomb? What do they do with their dead? I mean, they build these great big edifices to them, right? Joseph was pretty much Egyptian and Jewish at the same time, right? Do you suppose that without this, this ask here, Joseph, he might not have built him a pyramid. I'm not going that far, but do you suppose he'd have made him a nice final resting place, though, there in Egypt? Jacob's like, I don't want any of that. I want to be buried where my people are. I want to be buried where, where, where Abram's buried. I want to be buried where Isaac's buried. And I think there's a reason, and the writer of Hebrews tells us, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11, because there, there is a faith statement here that Jacob is making. Don't leave me in this temporary place in Egypt. Don't leave me here. Take me out. Take me out. And the writer of Hebrews refers to it in Hebrews chapter 11. Beginning in verse 13, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised. Think about it. Did Abraham see the promise that God had promised to him when he died? He didn't begin close to seeing it, did he? He had what? He had one heir, right? He had Isaac. And remember, you know, stars in the heaven, sands on the ground, one star, one grain of sand, right? And by the time he died, Isaac had had a son. He had had two sons, right? And one of them turned out not to be a good son, and one of them turned out to be the son of promise. But Jacob was by no means anything that Abram, when he would die, would say this, man, my hopes are firmly placed in Jacob, and man, he is going to succeed. By the time Abraham died, the story of Jacob was, was very shaky at best, was it not? These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, I love that, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. This is why it's so important that when Jacob is in front of Pharaoh, he calls himself this, I'm just a sojourner, and I'm going to die a sojourner, and my people here, my sons, they're just sojourners, we're just sojourners. We're looking for something better. What was it that he was looking for? Well, keep going. If they had been thinking of that land, verse 15, from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I love it. 
Jacob's desire is a faith desire. He, he wants to go where his ancestors are because his ancestors chose to be buried in a cave because they understood this. This is not our final resting place. This is just a place to put our bones. We're looking for something far greater. We're looking for a city, not an earthly city, a heavenly one. This morning, if you're in Christ, your testimony is no different than Jacob's. Think about this. Are we sojourners here? I'm a sojourner who happens to have my tent right now in, in, in Liberty Township, just outside of Johnstown. Some of you are sojourners that have your tents in the, in the city of Johnstown. Some of you live in Alexandria. Some of you live up in Centerburg. Some of you live out in townships. But you're a, I don't care if you have a physical brick-and-mortar house. You pretty much are just living in a tent. It's temporary. And we can say, just like Jacob, that our days are short and they've been full of a lot of trouble and evil. Anybody else say that with me? But if you're in Christ, you can also say this with Jacob, our hope is one day that we're going to see a city that's far greater than we've ever seen here. We're looking for a city. We're, we're looking for a city. We're, we're, looking, we're looking because our hope is in the one who is resurrection and life. We're looking for the city that he's built for us. And then we can also say this, we are what we are by the grace of God. God's grace is never clearer than at the cross of Jesus Christ. Do you know that? God's grace clearly comes into crystal clear focus at the cross of Jesus Christ. Because it's at the cross of Jesus Christ that we come the closest to seeing the heart of our God. We see, we see the Son that He loves. We see the one part of the Trinity there, and God the Son, and we see God the Father in His grace and in His kindness and in His love pour out His total wrath on the one who doesn't deserve it. He pours out his full wrath and fury on the Son so that you and I can be freed from the slavery of sin. We often talk about eternal life, but I want to tell you something. It is far better than eternal life. Because of God putting the full wrath on the Son, on the cross, you and I do not have to be slaves to sin anymore. Do you remember what it was like to be a slave to sin? We're free from that. And then on top of that, he gives us eternal life. Which is why I say, the grace of God is never clearer in this life than at the cross of Jesus Christ. If you haven't experienced that grace, I would beg of you, come speak with me. Speak with one of the elders today. We would love to explain to you from the Word of God how you can experience and know and be the beneficiary of that grace. But I want to talk to children of God for just a second. That clock's wrong. It says it's five after one, and I know that's not right, so I've got plenty of time here because the clock's wrong. I have no idea what the clock is, Right? I want to talk to children of God for a second before we leave here this morning. When was the last time you were gripped 
by what we celebrated here this morning. I mean, really gripped by the grace of God. When was the last time you looked at your heart, and even as Carrie prayed, and you saw yourself as despicable? I like that. When was the last time you really saw yourself for who you are? And it so wowed you that God would love you and give you grace. We don't do it enough, do we? We don't do it enough. Because we get prideful, we get arrogant, we, we tend to think that we deserve all this stuff where I began with this. We truly are good at being self-entitled, trust fund Jesus kids. We deserve the little spiritual BMWs that he gives us. We deserve all the perks. We deserve the, the really fancy sweaters that God hands out to us. We deserve nothing, church. We deserve to have the wrath of God. We've earned that quite well. Because we're all rebels. And God, in his great love, says, you know what? Dan Scarberry, you are the most despicable of them all. But because I want to show my glory, I'm going to give you grace. And who are we to not be gracious to others? Who are we to, to, as you were, to be so cavalier with the grace of God that those of us who have experienced it, that we wouldn't be gracious to others? John, when he began his letter, wrote it this way. Jesus came full of two things. Do you remember what they were? Grace and truth. Jacob finished his life well because he finished it with grace and with truth. That's my prayer. That whatever days you give me, God, that I'll finish it with grace and truth. Father, there's not a one of us in here that deserves any kindness at all from you. And before we leave this place this morning, Father, it's my desire that, that every single one of us would just contemplate hard your grace, and what it means. Lord, I pray that we would never presume. I pray that we would never see ourselves as entitled. How cheap we make that grace when we do that. We thank you for the grace of Christ. May it be, <laughs> may it be our theme each day, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. As we look at the week ahead with the election, the controversial, controversial issues on it, the stresses